Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast defining the experience of being a young adult with cancer. Each episode, we explore issues impacting young adults in and after treatment. Like what you hear? Have something to add? Come join us for next month's recording, the third Tuesday at 6 p.m. Hey guys, and welcome to Life on Pause. Today's topic is talking positivity and grief tourism. Harsh realities versus true perceptions, thriving or surviving. What's a grief tourist and does toxic positivity ever stop? I'm Corrine, a Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor turned pediatric oncology nurse, and I'm so excited to talk about this topic. But even more stoked to introduce our guest speaker, a fellow Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor, crazy talented artist and founder of Hashtag oh, You're So Tough, and just an overall cancer badass, Chelsea Goatman. Hello, I'm so excited to be here, guys. Thank you for having me. My name is Chelsea Gomez, and I am known as Oh You're So Tough across social media. I am a two-time Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor. I had a stem cell transplant on April Fool's Day of 2020, (laughs) which is pretty on brand (laughs) for me. I somehow began creating art while I was home with my daughter when I was recovering from my transplant. And that has spiraled into a whole entire brand and books and all types of things. So I work full time as an artist now, which is really awesome. And I also am a huge advocate for the AYA cancer space because that's where I exist. So I'm so happy to be here. Life is not always positive. And as cancer survivors, we probably know this better than anyone else dealing with the ups and downs. You need the good with the bad. You need to feel negative emotions in order to process your positive emotions. So toxic positivity, basically how difficult, no matter how difficult a situation is, like people think that you should maintain this positive mindset or you feel like you should. So you basically take on like this role of being overly optimistic, overly hopeful, and like you reject those negative emotions. So my question to all of you guys is, how do you feel like you've dealt with toxic positivity? My name is Erin. I currently have stage four thymic carcinoma. It's a very rare and stage four is incurable cancer of the thymus gland. Briefly, it's you, we all need our thymus gland when we're young. You don't need it when we're older. Our bone marrow kicks in. For some people, it turns into cancer and then it spreads all over the place. So I was diagnosed two and a half years ago. I've, I'm, I've had surgery. I've had lots of radiation. I'm on my fifth line of treatment and it just keeps spreading and growing. So that's where I am. But as far as toxic positivity, there are several people in my life that I hold dear that I allow them to exert that onto me. Um, just stay positive, Aaron. You've got this. Just stay positive. But because I love them and I have had hard conversations with them, I tend to speak more about that in therapy than to their face. But if it's people that I typically don't have that relationship with, I basically say fuck off. Because when you have stage four, like I literally don't, I literally don't have time. Like I do not have time to waste on being happy all the time. Like every time I go to the doctor, it's worse news. And this is, this that's not an exaggeration. That's 
been my life for two and a half years. So with therapy, that has been very helpful. But um, yeah, for the most part, if, if it's someone I love and trust, I will have those conversations with them. And I'll even allow to a certain degree, but anyone else, I, I don't, I don't deal with it. So for me personally, I think I had like two different cancer experiences, completely different. So when I first went through it, I was very much like trying to fit in with what society tells you you should be when you're a cancer patient. So being brave, being strong, giving updates, which were painful updates, but coding them in positivity where like I would post something. And then I would go and cry, like where it was completely contrasting to what I was writing. But it was because I felt a sense of having to do that because that's how everyone in my life was acting. So when I relapsed, I kind of was at the point where I was like, you know what? <laughs> We're just going to be honest from now on. And I'm going to like, literally, I turned on my camera. I had a YouTube channel prior, nothing to do with cancer, but I just turned on my camera one day in a parking lot and started talking about how I really felt. And that was before a lot of people did share about how they really felt. And I remember some <laughs> different reactions that I had gotten from uh, strangers online or my family. But to me, I felt so much better <laughs> to be authentic and myself. And if anyone came at me with like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. I'd be like, what was the reason? Like Cardi B, you know, like she screams, what was the reason? Like, there's no reason in my mind for people to get cancer especially like when kids get cancer. I, I hate that everything happens for a reason. I completely agree with that statement about like people saying like everything happens for a reason or God has a plan for you or something. Like I know that's comforting to some people, but that just was not comforting to me. And then people would always be like, so like, how are you feeling? And like, you could tell that they wanted me to be not honest, like just say what they thought I should be feeling. And that was something I struggled with like, throughout my whole experience oh sorry I forgot to go who I, over who I am I'm Kayla I'm sorry so Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor had it when I was 15 I was at an age where I like relied on like my parents for a lot still and for them to like relay messages but then other people would come to me and like ask me like oh how are you doing and like I definitely did not feel like I give them honest answers like I wanted to I wanted to tell them how do you think I'm feeling I have cancer I'm 15 I want to be in school with my friends I, that's not what I said. I was like, oh, I'm okay. Like, some days are worse than others, like, whatever. And I just felt like I couldn't be honest. I think being a part of the podcast has actually helped me come to terms with the fact that I can be honest and that the people that truly care will listen and that the people that are just doing it to make themselves feel better, they don't really matter in my life. And that's something that I've had to learn. And I think it's helped me. I agree with you, Kayla. I think you know, feeling like you have to be happy for other people is hard. My name's Allison. I'm a Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor as well. I was diagnosed in 2019, my sophomore year of college. And yeah, it was hard. It was like, people would be like, wow, you're like, you're so this, you're so that. And it's like, well, you want to know, know how I really feel. I don't feel like I'm this or that at all. And I did, um, I'm, I did kind of make my cancer journey my, my own and kind of like hide it from people and stuff like that but I still felt like with some of my interpersonal relationships or family that I had to like pretend that I was happy because they'd be like oh like how are you like this and that I'd be like oh good like what do you want me to say I'm a 19 year old I have no hair I'm literally I look like 
a blueberry from straw from steroids like what do you want me to say <laughs> like I I'm not doing great <laughs> like you know and I just think that the past three years being done with treatment and stuff like that and just figuring out that it's okay to be sad about it like really hit me hard so I, I want people to know who are going through treatment like it's okay to be like this really sucks like I'm sad about it and I just, I think that um, a lot of people going through treatment kind of hide that, you know, for their friends or their family. And I just want people to know that like your feelings are your own and better to feel them now or later or, or feel them later. Like I did, like just, it's your journey. Just don't mold it to somebody else. Yeah. I think the briefly the projection is very hard and, you know, like I've had people with cancer say some pretty awful things, which always blows my mind. Um, and then also people who I think really do mean well, but they're just stuck in this cultural idea of like what Chelsea said, like what, what you're supposed to say, you know, you're a fighter, you got this. Like for me, I've had to very much educate people that not everyone is a survivor. Like not everyone will get treatment and then move on. Like that sucks. Like, why am I supposed to be happy about that? You know, like I... And then, you know, there's also the saturation. You have people who really want to know early on what's going on. But then, you know, two, three, four years later, you're still, quote unquote, complaining. They don't want to deal with that anymore. And it's like, well, yeah, neither do I. But you get to walk away and I I still have to live this every day. So, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with society and how our culture has kind of created these narratives. and. I think as long as we're speaking up and yeah, it's different for everyone, but just allowing the conversation to change, I think will kind of make people behind us have better experiences, hopefully. I think that like in everyone, I feel like kind of touched on this a little bit. It's that, what do you say? Like, what is there a right thing to say? For me, like being 16, like I remember that I was told I was sick. And I let myself cry for 10 minutes. And then I was like, okay, like you are Corrine, you are 16 years old, like you're going to get through this. And I absolutely like put on a tough face, but what people didn't see was like me leaving class because I was like, no, I'm going to go to school and throwing up in the bathroom in between classes every period. Like people didn't see post when chemo was over me sleeping in my bathtub because it was the coldest place in the house because I was withdrawing from steroids and pain medicine. And there is this, you know, the harsh reality versus the true perception of what is going on. And are there people in your life? Like, for example, like I have a group of close girlfriends who were like, they, they would take turns on who would come to chemo with me back in the day. And I'm still friends with all of them. And like, I can be raw and real around them. But the truth is, is like, I probably didn't come to terms with how much I was truly affected by everything going on until like after this effect. Like, I think I was so focused on just getting through it. And in a sense, like focused on surviving that I literally forgot that like in order to survive, you have to like address like essentially like your inner demons, like the things that also scare you it is okay to be scared. Like it is okay to take like the, like have one good day in all your bad days and be like, no, I'm having more bad days. Like 
I think the most, one of like the biggest lessons like I've learned is just, I will never, I think, I think for people to be unapologetically themselves is like one of the most like beautiful things you can do, not just for yourself, but for like other people, because at the end of the day, like people who respect that authentic space and people who like, like respect who like you are in, in, as like a whole, like those are the people that are like in your corner. Everyone else like literally has no room or point to take up any space in your life. And also I want to say like, it becomes kind of difficult when you do share your authentic self with certain people and then they just hit you with like, you got this, it's good, it's fine. Because then you feel like, am I obligated to correct them? Should I just keep going and let them believe that I am feeling like this? And it's hard because that's emotionally exhausting on you to share how you really feel or try to combat what they're saying. But I also think that it's like Aaron's saying, it's important to educate people because I think that people are trying their best. But I always tell people, just because someone says something from a kind place or they meant well, doesn't mean that it's not hurtful. And I think that the people who do mean well, for the most part, are willing to hear how they can do better. And that's only going to help you. And if they're not willing to do better, maybe they don't deserve this you know, trust that you're giving them by giving your true feelings. Maybe it is going to be a surface level relationship. And I think that's hard because when you get cancer, you think like, oh, this person will be there for me and that person. And then the people you think are going to be there aren't there. And then the ones who you least expected are the ones that show up for you, or at least that's how it was for me. Yeah, that's similar to how it was for me. Um, I thought my best friend was going to be there for me, but she wasn't. And it took me a long time to actually forgive her. And I still, to this day, actually don't think I completely forgave her for it because like the day I told her, she was like, I will be there for you. I'm not going to treat you any differently. Everything's going to stay the same. And then a few months later, she's my neighbor. So it sucked because I saw her like getting the mail and stuff. And, but there was no text, no nothing. Like I was like, oh, okay. And then the people that I expected to like not be there for me were there. So it's cancer kind of opens your eyes to people. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that, but I wish it didn't take cancer to show people's true colors, but sometimes it does. Yeah. Like losing, I had a good, good, good friend. Well, I thought they were, <laughs> but they completely ghosted me when I got cancer. And that was before I ever, you know, heard from other people saying that that was an experience that they have gone through. And I thought it was just me. And I thought to myself, what did I do wrong? Like, I'm just dying. Like I didn't, you know, it's, I'm still the same person. I'm just sick. Like, and for you to abandon me at this time, you know, so many people I hear from them and they go, well, you know, maybe they just don't know how to deal with it. Or maybe they had a neighbor who had cancer once and they can't look at you. And that's all good and well, but I just don't, I guess because I would never abandon someone that had cancer. I just can't, I don't know. I just, I can't, I have a hard time forgiving people. Like I may forgive them, but I don't necessarily want them back in my life, if that makes sense. I think this is a good segue into our next topic of like the podcast, which is grief tourism. And Chelsea, you had a really awesome quote in an article that you wrote that was like, if you were in the middle of an ocean, a grief tourist would ride by on a boat and snap a pic. A true friend drags you out of the water and saves you. So kind of like on that topic. And I feel like we've been like discussing that. What 
in a sense do you guys think has like dragged you out of the water and what is something that like you experienced with grief tourism I had a couple really good friends in college and when I was doing my treatment and my like my best friend drove like whatever 13 hours come see me in North Carolina and um from PA and uh that was like really kind of what I needed like she would come and just be there for me just be next to me like she wasn't expecting anything you know what I mean she wasn't like expecting me to be fun blah 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 like she would be like like you want to sleep like then sleep like things like that so but then I also had another friend in college who would like come in my room and be like this depression room first of all smells like second of all you need to get out of bed you're withering away and she would just like drag me out of bed and at the time I'm like oh my gosh like this is annoying but then it was like what I needed like just not withering away in my bed and stuff like that I can't really think right now of a grief tourism moment just so I'll let somebody else take that away I just wanted to say like where my grief tourist experience started to kind of so you can see my point of view so when I was first diagnosed I was working at a company and I was like a supervisor of people and when I left unexpectedly because nobody expects me to have cancer I kind of left everything in an upheaval so people were like constantly messaging me for updates and somebody who was trying to do something kind set up a Facebook group to kind of update people and you may have one of those or you may have caring bridge or whatever but I felt like it was like the evening news on there like I had to constantly update people or if I went to the doctor and someone saw that I went to the doctor I had to write an update and these same people you know who said let me know if you need anything or you know we you got this and we're here for you I remember I was extremely sick from chemo, but I had one of those people say, I just miss you so much. I want to see you, you know, for uh, lunch. And I was like, okay, well, let me get out of the house. I've been in the house, you know, chemo keeps you in the house half the time. So I drove over an hour to see this person. And I was in the parking lot of the restaurant and they text me. Yeah, I'm just too busy. I just will never like forget the way that I felt in that moment. And that showed me like, yeah, you just really wanted to just comment on my Facebook to look like you cared and you surely don't care about me. And it was probably one of the hardest lessons that I've had to learn through all of this. It's like, just because someone sends you a message or asks you for information or says, let me know if you need anything, it doesn't mean that they're truly there for the right reasons. They could be there for their own image or they just want to watch like a car accident going on. Like it, it's very... It's a hard concept to understand or process, but it, it definitely happens every day to each of us, probably. So for me being 16 in high school, obviously there are silly things like little high school drama or life. And when I got sick, I had a group of guys that were very, very, I was like very close with and like stupid high school drama. There were girls who... I don't know if I want to use the word threatened, but we're very like, oh no, like you can't be friends with her, blah, blah, blah. And then I got sick. And then all of a sudden it was like, we're going to support this person. Like we're going to, so like we used to do this thing called Corrine's cupcakes at lunchtime and like people would bake, bake goods. And then like, you know, whatever was from that would like go towards my like little like chemo fund and everything. And like, they were the same people who prior to me being sick, were just mean girls and then all of a sudden like I'm sick and they like toned down being mean and then like after like all of a sudden it was like oh I was in remission and I'll never forget like 
I was literally like laying in my bathtub and listening to my old school iPod video. My one friend, Evan, was like, oh, like me and my friend Zach are coming to clean your car. And I was like, what are you talking about? And like these girls literally threw like flour and stuff on my car, thinking that like I did that to them. Meanwhile, like I don't even have time. Like I can barely, I'm literally sleeping in a bathtub, people. Like I don't have time for your childish games. And like the thing is, is like the mean, most of the time, like the mean girls in high school are still going to be the mean girls like growing up through life. But the thing like that I always think of is that like you, by focusing on just like being you and weeding out who matters and who doesn't like I would rather someone hate me for who I am than like me for someone that I'm not and especially like with cancer and everything like no maybe the whole story isn't unfolded maybe I'm not like podcasting every negative side effect that I've experienced or you know my fears of infertility or the things that really like scare me in life but you know what? Like, at least you can hold your head high being like, I am who I am. And that's all I can be. I'm Sam, diagnosed with a brain tumor about eight, nine years ago, summer of 2014. Went through that. And that was when I first experienced the grief tourism is when, you know, posted to Facebook and suddenly you've got dozens and dozens of people saying you know if there's anything I can do let me help that kind of thing and at the time it's like I don't have the time to like list out exactly what I need I'm still trying to deal with just the cancer itself and you you got people reaching out talking to you and then when it becomes clear that you know you're not two weeks away from death they're like oh you put it off till later so I went through that I made some good friends who were long-term supporters so around 2018 I finished my chemo and everything for the first time I was fine. I was like that for four and a half years. And then three or four months ago, cancer came back. So I had once again posted to Facebook and just blast from the past. Same people, not the same people, but same people generically. Again, you know, let me know what you need. And so people reaching out, talking to me constantly. And then after a couple of weeks, it, it faded away. And this time it was a bit tougher because we learned it was like a grade four glioma, which is by default labeled as a glioblastoma. My doctor explained to me that it is a glioblastoma technically, but it's because of the mutation, it's much more treatable than typical glioblastoma. And especially when you look physically fine, people look at that and they're like, oh, you're perfectly fine. It's the same person. No, there's still a whole bunch of, of side effects that I have to deal with just on a mental side of things like sleep. I have to sleep like 12 hours a day otherwise I can't function properly but I think a more niche group tourism is the people that you really really care about like my parents and kind of their refusal to believe that the cancer is going to take you like the chemo is working so far but you know there's always a chance especially with a grade four bioma that you know the chemo could stop working at any point in time that the chemo will do so much and then it was you know we just delayed the inevitable but yeah because like my mom and my dad they're they're very much like oh you know the treatment's working so you're going to be fine that's not necessarily true so it is difficult to like go to them with these kind of like these deep-seated fears of of death and having to deal with you know mortality 
but you do have people that show up. I've got my cancer support group here. That's phenomenal in helping with this. I got a psychiatrist who's good with that. I've got friends who have come out and they all like acknowledge the fact that, you know, it could be by demise for lack of a better word. But yeah, you really do kind of figure out who is there for you, who is not like which people you can talk to about which things. Because if I need some positivity, you know, go to my parents. If I need to deal with some reality, go to this friend in particular. But yeah, it's it's really weird for people who go through treatment and like like you, you with me, like if I hadn't shaved my head, you wouldn't be able to tell I had any drinking. But it's still very much there. And so yeah, it's this really just kind of confusing part of life and trying to deal with the fact that even you kind of like had to like remind yourself that no, I'm not perfectly fine. I still have to deal with all this mental fatigue and like I'm having to go on disability for a time being until this treatment is over. And it's almost like you feel like, like I feel bad that I had to take time off of work to deal with this because I'm like, I, I feel fine. And then then you realize you have like two hours of energy a day. And so that, that's my whole view on this. Sam, I was going to ask you if you felt like I did and probably Aaron too, it sounds like you did. Like when you didn't exactly get better or like for me, like I was better for like a period of two months and then I got sick again and I felt like people were over me being sick. Like that was old news. Like those people, you know, I had some of the grief tourists pop up again, but at the same time, I think people were just like, oh, we're over the cancer, like we're tired of it, especially too, when you end treatment for people who do get to end treatment and you're still talking about it, they just want you to be quiet and move on. And you're like, well, I'm a completely different changed person. And the person I was prior to hearing you have cancer, for me, at least that person died, like they did die. This is a whole new me trying to learn who I am. And you also need to learn who I am. And if you don't want to be there along with me, then tell me gtfo you know what that means like i need to live my authentic life now like kareem's saying because i see how short life really can be so yeah no that's very much what i went through i have a couple of different perspectives on that the first being like the people who did reach out initially and like they're they're nice people i'm not gonna like say they're bad they just don't know how to deal with the thing like people like saying oh what kind of stuff do you like and all this stuff so i'm sitting kind of waiting and like the mail never comes. It's like, oh, he's fine. He doesn't, he doesn't really need all this stuff. And the second thought just completely lost my train of thought. I guess of having the brain tumor. But yeah, it's interesting. So in that regard, the second when the, the tumor started growing again, like it was really just kind of the universe just kind of playing a joke on me. Because at that point, I kind of just, like it took a long time. I don't think people realize how long it comes to terms with the fact that you have cancer and how long it takes to kind of accept that you're a different person. It took me, took me almost eight years to kind of figure out that I am a different person. I don't, I can't do the same things that, that, that I used to because I just moved out on my own. I had just like, and I work closer to work and everything. And literally like two weeks after I moved is when the two started growing again. And so, yeah, it's just really weird to have to deal with with that in general, I don't know if that answers the question exactly, but it's with that and then ha having to just got used to being like your new self and then you kind of have to like go through that again. I'm hoping that the first, after the first time I went through all this, it'll help me go through it a second time. 
and I think it's already in effect, but having to, I mean, you have all these people reaching out and, but I think a lot of it has to do with accepting your, your new self, accepting that, you know, you could be lived to be 70, 80, but you could also live to be, you know, another, another year or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's very much like, like you guys mentioned, the, like the roll of the dice, very much a, you really don't know how short life could be and trying to take advantage of opportunities that pop up as opposed to saying, no, I'll do that down the line because there may not be a down. I think people think that the second that you hear the words, you're in remission or you hear the words like this isn't working, that like cancer just stops. That all of a sudden, like you're a survivor or you are like, you know, valiantly going through this or that that's that. Regarding kind of Chelsea, like what you were saying about those people is like, whether you are my close friend or you are like my enemy, like cancer is something that I literally will deal with every single day for the rest of my life in some capacity. And that is not in the sense of like, where, you know, I make it like, how do I want to word this? I think as people who have gone through cancer, I think we do a very good job of it not making our entire life revolve around the fact that like we were sick or that we have treatment or we're doing this, even though we have to think like, well, what can I do this week if it's skin or if I have chemo, like, I guess I should probably eat that pizza before my taste buds, like go to grab next week. And I don't think that people like truly, you know, it's kind of like that quote where it's like, you don't see the battles that people are fighting inside. And I think that for as kind as people are, people are cruel in the sense that like they truly forget that. And even with myself, like I genuinely try and think of that for people who aren't even in the cancer world, like what are they going through? But sometimes it's so hard to see through people just played out being mean. Like there, it takes so much energy to truly be like, I hate this person or I don't like this person. And it takes so much energy to just like have to put on a facade. And it's like kind of tying back to that toxic positivity. Like you can put on this facade that like you're happy, but you're not allowed to put on a facade that like you're sad. And I just think that people, unless you're going through it, will never truly understand what it is to like be in like the trenches of it. Someone on their Facebook posted a quote. It was like, grief is the only thing like tragedy that has a timeline in people's minds. And I feel like we're, we are grieving in very lots of ways when you have cancer. And it's true. It's like, speed up, Kareem. Like you're, you're over this. Hello, you were 16. Like this should have, and it's like, no, like I fundamentally got broken apart as a person essentially. And I'm spending year after year trying to figure out who I am and survivorship. And especially if you're not comfortable sharing who you really are, imagine just day to day trying to fit back into your old life and that's that's like what I did I went back to work like at this place that I didn't really like working at but I was like oh well that that's who I was right and then I got there and I was like what am I doing here like I almost died like I don't like it and I need to escape and some people can't you know they have families and they have to like pay for things and they can't just leave their careers and stuff but it's like you just kind of feel like you don't fit back into your old life and that's how I felt very much so. So I think already is a very important point. My name is Ryan Cole, and I was diagnosed with T cell leukemia back in sixth grade. I went through treatment until I was in 
through ninth grade. And so I, in addition to dealing with, we, as we talked about grief tourism and sort of figuring out who is in your life for good and who is not in your life for good, as a 10-year-old kid, all I wanted was to have friends, you know? And I saw my friends throwing bake sales for me and like doing all these things for me. And I'm like, this is so cool. But when I was in class with those people, talking with those people, like I would see that they would go hang out and I wouldn't be invited or like I wouldn't be in the, at the lunch table. And it was just having to reconcile that as a 10, 11 year old kid is just, it was impossible. And I think that plays into where I'm at in my journey now while I've finished treatment and am in remission. I think as we, as we touch on, we sort of don't feel like we fit in society. For me, those were my formative years where I was not fitting in society and I wasn't accepted by my peers. And the emotional toll that that took then was never addressed because we're circling back to that toxic toxicity. My family didn't believe in therapy. I, and I just went to my first therapy appointment three months ago, sort of dealing with, in addition to all the physical side effects that we have for life, the emotional toll that it takes and that you have to fight every single day just to get out of bed is something that I think is very easy for people to dismiss and not give value to as a side a huge aspect of what stems from going through treatment. Sorry, I wanted to say, Ryan, I have, I was diagnosed at 36, so I have no idea what it's like to be in sixth grade. But I will tell you that um, no one enjoyed sixth grade through ninth grade. So it was awful. Sorry, I tried to make a joke and it's probably not funny. Well, I'm glad to be part of that club. I laughed. <laughs> a side note, Ryan, like you brought up, therapy and if they're like I think that our society I think we've gotten better on it but I think there's this huge stigma with mental health and therapy like I think like it's like oh you the therapist like what are you in therapy for to be honest I think like when you get your social security card at birth like you should also get a therapist through life like I think that everyone needs a therapist and whether like you talk to like for me, like I've had the same therapist since I was 17 years old. It is like just a safe space to go and speak. And like, it's a non-judgmental person. It is a person that like, as much as they know you, like they know what you tell them. And it's like, you need a release kind of like talking back to like, I feel like we're like, everything comes full circle. Like you need a place where like, no matter what emotion you're processing, like you're free to process that emotion. And like, you regardless like cancer not cancer like you will not get through life if you cannot like mentally be in a place where you're like accepting of your life whether like there are good things happening or bad things happening like the whole triangle of like your mental emotional like physical spiritual well-being like it is so true and it's like a balance and like you have to compensate like when your physical is bad like you're compensating mentally or when your mental is bad you're compensating emotionally like you have to find like your own balance and like figure out like what works for you and I don't think that there's like any shame and the how long that takes whether it's with like a therapist like or not but like I think that it takes a strong person to say that like I can't do this by myself okay guys so We've kind of talked each, like a lot of us have talked about this, like individually, we all know it on like a local national level. Like there are so many 
cancer organizations or just like like people that raise money in order for like financial support and research and like if you had to I guess offer like a guideline in order to like not have them fall into the traps of like toxic positivity or grief tourism like what is a piece of advice that you would offer to someone who is like advocating or trying to like essentially like do good so for me I appreciate organizations like I appreciate any organization that raises money for research and such but I appreciate the ones that do that but they show an authentic view of cancer I'm not saying we want you to have like a depressing thing no I'm not saying that but I think that the ones that hold space like hey guys like it's hard to have cancer we're raising money but we want to show you the other side of it like I I work with Bright Spot Network they help parents who have cancer talking with their kids on you know cancer and all toxic topics and when I got diagnosed I held had a basically a three-year-old so I was like oh okay this is a whole different level and they are still positive and I still support and they still raise money but they have a lot of resources that talk about the reality of cancer support groups and things like that and so I think like not putting someone on the poster with a bald head like ringing the bell like yay like I wouldn't do that (laughs) I was gonna be doing that because that's just feeding into everything that we are trying to combat now because there can be positivity in the cancer community but it needs to be alongside space for hard things I totally agree with that Chelsea I was also going to say like right when she asked the question I was thinking like I hate not that I hate I really don't like seeing like picture perfect cancer patients like oh like this like you know because when I was 19 like I wasn't dolled up every day with makeup and like a bald head and you know what the first couple times I had treatment I wasn't bald yet so like not that every cancer like organization is only posting about bald people or you know young women with makeup and balls or wigs or whatever like but it's just like it just feeds into the stigma of being this picture perfect cancer patient who's happy and put together and wears their wigs and looks great and it's like that's just not the case all the time and also Um, I think what Ryan said about how, like, you know, if he didn't shave his head, you wouldn't know he had cancer. Like people who don't look like they have cancer still can have cancer. So I think that's really important that the diversity of having cancer or going through the stages. So this may be a little bit controversial, but I think it's a really tough line to walk as someone who works in nonprofits and does a lot of fundraising. People want to see a poster of a happy kid like beating cancer, they're much more likely to donate. And so I think it's it's so hard because it's so disenfranchising as a person who knows that hey, this is not what cancer is. But again, I think it's the toxic positivity. I don't, it like rooted in our culture, but like rooted in people. Like they're not going to want to give money. Like it's scary. Like at the root of it, cancer is scary. And it's hard to fundraise and push an agenda with a scary image sort of as your front but with that being said like you know it's it's so hard to see that where oh the person looks airbrushed on the poster with and they're bald it's like that's not how I looked when I was in a hospital but you know I I sort of kind of feel the other side of it too and it's like it's a it's a hard it's a hard thing to to balance because like on the other side too with that like I 
have a lot of cancer parents that I'm friends with who have children with cancer. And I, it's just so difficult for me to see like, you know, when they start getting better, like their followers die down, you know, but it's like, if their child gets worse, all the people come and that's the grief tourists. And then they're throwing money at them, but it's like, they're not no longer interested when things are getting better. And it kind of makes me sick, honestly. So it's like, I see that too. It's like the people who are the organizations have to lean into that to get money. But then it's like, what really happens is like when things are going bad, the people are like, yeah, there's something to watch here. And I, it's so difficult, like you're saying, to find the balance between the two. Hi, my name is Shana and I was diagnosed with stage one breast cancer in July, 2019. And then with stage four last October. And I have found that society really glamorizes breast cancer. And especially this month of October, you'll see, you know, everything's just pink. They call it pink washed. And it's just, oh, let's do this fun race and we can wear this and rah, rah. And that's not how it is. <laughs> and I see that now. And there's so many organizations, Susan G. Komen, which is the one everybody knows, most of their funding those to breast cancer awareness. Well, that's wonderful, but I think we're all aware now of breast cancer and less than 5% goes to research for stage four. So everything that Susan G. Komen's doing, like that's not helping me or the thousands of women who are in stage four. So that's been a big eye opener. And I've just started educating my family and friends, you know, especially this month. So I try to do what I can, but I would say the best advice is look and see where the funding is going. And I think that's pretty sure public knowledge. You just have to, you know, might have to dig a little, but for all organizations, see where your money's going before you start donating. Yeah, I just shared a video like with these staff actually of that organization because you can find their tax returns online. It's public knowledge because they're a nonprofit. And it was staggering to see like what was actually going to a patient. And that's what any large organization a lot of times you just have to do your research because you know all of these pink things are actually hurting people it's triggering them throughout the whole month it's not cute it's not a glamorous thing it's a destructive thing to have breast cancer or any type of cancer but it's like stop making it look like it's all about boobs and pink things like it's just not the reality and then it's like the metastatic and stage four patients get pushed to the side like as if, as if they don't exist. And it's like, those people probably need these things the most, the resources the most. And it's just so upsetting. And I, I so I wanted to tell you, I feel for you this month, especially because I know just how hurtful it can be. So I think we, we bring up an interesting point here. Well, it's very important to have the side of the orgs that fundraise and do it well and allocate that money well. I think it's equally as important to have organizations that don't glamorize cancer and don't glamorize the process that we go through and focus on highlighting it and putting the spotlight on areas of treatment that may not get as much attention, sort of the mental health side of things, the side effects after you finish treatment, sort of the, when people are really going through tough times, I think we also need to have organizations and maybe they're separate, maybe they're wings of existing organizations that can highlight those struggles and sort of what it's like a true day in the life of a cancer patient. Not that any one cancer patient is the same. So I will give a shout out here to our AYA council we've been working with. And we 
created the, our, our webpage and our blogs that our young adults write oftentimes really like I'm talking about cancer triggers that those exist. I'm very like pleased with that one. There was one article that someone wrote that she wanted the title to be cancer sucks. And I was like, yes, but I, I didn't think that Penn State Health would okay that as a title. And then I'm so glad that they did. They're like, yes. So I hope that that space continues to be a place that our young adult voices that Penn State can put forward these truths because we also raise a lot of money for childhood cancer. So we also have a lot of cute kids. And then we also like to take a cute kid and pair them with a puppy dog. That, that's a real winner. I mean, I think that's awesome. You're having both sides of it right there. A great balance that sounds like you've been able to find. If I could just chime in for a second. So this, it occurs to me that, you know, we talk about all these individual cancers, individual types of cancers, but there are aspects that kind of like it's overarching for like all cancers that I don't think a lot of the, the charities really focus in on. They focus in on the individual cancers, but, you know, for me as an anecdote, it's, there's so much more to it than the actual cancer treatment. There are things like the ripples of cancer and the cancer treatment, like anxiety is a huge one that I've had to deal with before cancer, I didn't know what anxiety was really. But afterwards, it just became such a huge part of, of my life. How, you know, getting these treatments deals with like your sleeping cycle, like how it just completely destroys that. Like, I don't think my body knows what a circadian rhythm is anymore. And just stuff like that. It's, uh, and I think those are really important to, to focus in on just because it's, like those are just as important for for treatment in terms of getting relaxation and everything and which not having a sleeping schedule or not having anxiety kind of work against having that time where you can just relax and work, work smoothly in life and it's yeah that's personally what I have had to go through I'm sure there are many other examples of it I think it's really really important to focus on on those in addition to the treatment yeah, I think that if you guys, if we're not saying like what is the true experience, then the people beside you or from behind you, when it happens to them, they they feel so much more alone. The Sam, like you just said, kind of the ripples. And I think if this podcast has created a ripple effect for anything, it's that unapologetically being your authentic self through the good and the bad, focusing on you, whatever that is, and like figuring out how you deal with the anxiety, how you deal with the brief moments of happiness, how you deal with the, this sucks of what I'm going through. Like if anything, we ripple effect that toxic positivity and that grief tourism, and we just continue down the river. And I just want to say that I am so thankful for all of you for your perspectives and chiming in and just contributing to what today's topic has been. And every time you guys share the true experiences of cancer, even if you're not an organization with posters, you are making a difference because the only way we can change things is to be authentic and be open about it. And so I just want to say I'm proud of each of you truly for doing this type of work, especially when I know it can be personally painful to talk about these things. So I'm, I'm so thankful for podcasts like this and for people like you who are willing to share. Thank you all so much for giving us the platform and opportunity to, to share our authentic stories. Uh, I think 
I speak for myself when it means a lot, but I think I, that goes for everyone here that we really appreciate the opportunity and the platform. The last, I've done this podcast twice now, and the first time was before the cancer started, the tumor started regrowing. And now it's when I'm actively going through the treatment. So I'm interested to see if my personal belief system is, has changed at all. And just to see where it was a few months ago, even to now between person not going through treatment and person actively going through treatment. Thanks for listening to Life on Pause. Ideas or suggestions for future episodes? Feel free to share them with us. Join us for the next recording on the third Tuesday of the month. Until Until next time. time.